Um, last week we had Solemn Assembly. How many of you guys participated in Solemn Assembly? Hand real high. Those of you who participated, amen, amen, amen. It was good always to begin our year off. I mean, we want to be marked by seeking the Lord um, at all times, but and we set aside the first full week of the year to seek the face of God. And um, it was great to get with uh, different churches from around the city who are of different ethnicities coming together to pray and to seek the face of God concerning uh, ethnic unity and uh, a commitment uh, to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ together as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ in this city. And it was extremely sweet treat to get with the Epiphany churches um, from uh, around the region and area uh, on Thursday night. Um, did you enjoy yourselves with that? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this this morning. We're gonna do something. Um, y'all gonna have to participate, okay? I know y'all are the meditating congregants at the first gathering. Y'all meditate and y'all listen, but, uh, but, but, but every now and then, just let me know you're awake, amen? Just every now and then, you, 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 every now and then, if something applies to you, you can say amen. If God did something in your life, every time, every now and then you can say hallelujah. Um, if God did anything anywhere, and you like agree with it, you can, you can clap your hands. So every now and then you can, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you into anything, but I'm just saying every now and then I need to know that, that you're alive and God is doing something for you and well, because in, in different situations where there is excitement, some of you guys act like you're wired a different way, and then all of a sudden something happened out there in the world, and you excited, you hollering, you running around. Uh, you know, if, you went, if the Oprah Winfrey show is still coming on, and she said, you get one, and you get one, and you guess what you be doing? You be standing up clapping and hallelujah about that. And so, I don't know about you, but the greatest person in the universe that's ever done something for me is the God of heaven. And so every now and then, again, I'm not, I'm not trying, to, trying to beat anybody up, but the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It didn't say think so. It didn't say wink so. It didn't say tap so. It said say so. Um, um, let everything that have breath do what? Amen. Amen. I liked in the Bible when it says, and when they read the, bur the word, the people said yes and amen. Um, amen. I like that. And so... Um, yeah, so, yeah. So I'm excited about this message today. Stand up, stand up. Let's dive into God's eternal word. God's eternal word. Let's, um, let's approach the Lord's word with reverence. Um, as we dive in together and read verses 7 through 18 of 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. You know how we do. I'll start with you, and you can keep going until verse 18. Let's do it. Now, if the ministry of death carved... Mm-hmm.
Amen. 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 Today, um, our title in this next segment of Keeping It 100 through this series is Experiencing the Unlimited Glory of God. Experiencing the Unlimited Glory of God. Let's go before the Lord. God, we come before you. Um, recognizing that your glory is weighty and that you are massive in all of your attributes. And Lord God, we thank you that you are the God who, Lord God, gives us an opportunity to eternally fellowship with you. And God, I pray uh, through these weighty things in this passage that I believe have extremely practical significance. But God, I fear that as we go through this text, many of us will only uh, reduce this passage to practical principles. Um, when you want us to see something, and that's the most practical thing ever, is to have sight, an everlasting sight. And so God, I pray God as we walk through this text and try to grapple with your mind, try to grapple with your heart so that we can see you more clearly and we can have different areas of our life uncaged and unleashed so that we can walk with you more deeply, be more committed to you, Lord God, in every single area of our life and find that being in Christ is the greatest thing that ever existed. <laughs> Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. 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 As many of you know, um, I was a trier. If you've been with us long enough <clears throat> and heard me talk about it enough, is I have been a trier of religions. Um, and before I became a believer, I, I began, I, I tried every single thing that you could almost think of or studied it or tried to figure out what it was. I, I, I looked into Buddhism, Hinduism. I looked into the Egyptian mystery system. Um, I went into Pan-Africanism. I, I, I deeply uh, delved into trying to engage in Islam, uh, all different types of Islam, Al-Islam, Nation of Islam, Sunni Islam, uh, 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 Shiite Islam, uh, uh, all different types of religions. And, and, and when I, I, I dabbled in those, the difference between, for me, Christianity and the others is that I didn't search for Christianity. Uh, I, I didn't try to study Christianity. Christianity came and got me. There's a difference. And, and, and so, and so, so I, didn't, I didn't go trying to figure out that whether or not God, God sort of came and interrupted my scheduled programming. And, 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 and from that, and from that, my life has never, ever, ever, ever been the same. And one of the things that I knew from the inception of my faith was that Christianity was a religion of weighty, robust truth, but deep street-level experience. <clears throat> I, I, I mean, it, it was interesting that for the first time in my life, I realized one of the, th the diametric things is not just Jesus that's the difference. Jesus is the major difference between 
every religion, what you want is relationship, whatever. Like, and you know how we got little cliches. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, for James chapter one says Christianity is a religion, but it should be pure and undefiled. Anyway, we'll talk about that in another sermon. <clears throat> but, 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 but I understand what people are trying to say. But, but what, what I begin to see is that it's deeply about growing in your experience of God. And, and, and in growing in your experience with God is constantly being freed up through the gospel to encounter God over and over and over again. And at the end of the day, <clears throat> when I look back over my life and even look to today, Whenever I am not walking in a, uh, uh, in a sense of deep experience, with sensing that I'm experiencing God, my life can begin to stagnate. My life can get to the point where I'm not, I, 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 I become lethargic and sinning becomes a whole lot easier. <sighs> Wandering becomes extremely easy. Uh, because I'm not living in light of the one who called me out of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous son. Am I talking to anybody today? It's, it's, it's so, and, so, and so as I, as I begin to grow and to develop in this reality of experiencing him and knowing him and experiencing him, when I say experiencing him, I'm not merely talking about spiritual gifts and gatherings and shouting and running around. That's good, but I'm talking about a comprehensive, robust lifestyle by which you live in the manifest presence of God daily. Daily, daily, daily. This is a whole new way of thinking. This is a whole new way of doing things and expositionally and exegetically and, 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 and epistemologically. Paul in this text is trying to help us to live in light of experiencing God's presence as a lifestyle. Don't be afraid. I'm not talking about futile existentialism. I'm, I'm, I'm not merely talking about, uh, I'm not talking about Gnosticism or some foolish philosophy that does not find its faithfulness in our Father. I'm talking about the truth that only comes through knowing Him and knowing yourself and be able to better relate in this world. And so the text was too complex for me, almost um, in many ways, I feel um, weighted in the ability to even communicate the glorious excellencies that find itself neatly nestled here, yet we are called to preach it all. And that's what I'll attempt to do today, to go through this weighty text, to work through truth, to work through Jesus, and to work through our walk with him. I got one point and I promise I'll be out of your way. I don't know if I'll finish this today. I have almost 20 pages of notes, it's too much. Um, and, and I don't think I'm gonna get through it today. <clears throat> um, I had to stop preparing, cause it's just too much. Wow. I, I mean, I, I spent hours this week with God working through this and I still don't feel prepared. Cause it's too much. When I think of the massivity of his glory, it's too much to just study in a week and to present in 40 minutes on a Sunday, it's too much. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna work through what he lets me work through, is that okay? Um, I got one point, one point only. Experiencing the glory of God means a drastic decrease in self-reliance. Um, experiencing the glory of God 
means a drastic. Somebody say drastic. Drastic. I'm not talking about just little by little poor. I'm talking about drastic decrease in self-reliance. Paul is talking to the Corinthians <coughs> because someone has come in and started post-gospel shepherding them with unbiblical philosophies of self-reliance. And they live in a Hellenistic society as with, of which we sort of live in post-Hellenism in our pop culture where you are respected based on hard work. You're respected based on your grind. You're respected based on how much you can get done. You're respected on your ability to have really an imbalanced life of just working all the time to be about the paper. That's the Corinthians society was no different because it was a wealthy church with poor people, but the wealthy were more seen as the booming reality of what a person should properly reflect because they reflected philosophical constructs that meant that you were on your grind so you can be on your come up. But Paul presents a paradoxical reality. The Bible doesn't teach not that you don't work hard, but for salvation you don't work. We'll come back to that in a second. And in light of that reality, Paul begins to challenge them on their self-reliance because they value, they think that through their self-reliance, their spiritual growth happens. (coughs) Their ability to grow and show off God is based on all that they're able to personally produce. And so Paul begins to challenge them on this, verse 7. He says, now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Let's stop here. This, this 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 is weighty. So walk with me. He said. He says. He says. Um, he calls <clears throat> the tablets. It, it's almost like he's broadening our view of the two tablets that Moses came out of the mountain with. <clears throat> he's broadening it in several ways. Number one, he's making it representative of the whole law, even though he only came down on t- only ten of the laws were written on tablets. Okay. And because 10 of them were written on tablets, it was the cliff notes to the first five books of the Bible. Okay, the, the Ten Commandments were the cliff notes. Y'all trekking with me. And, 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 and so it's the cliff notes to, to, to the entirety of the first five books of the Bible. But not only, and so in, in, in him doing that, he's making the Ten Commandments representative of the entirety of the law. Number two, he talks about what it is that the Ten Commandments in relation to representing to the, the law represented for us. He said it was the ministry of what? Death. It can literally be translated ministry that produces death. <laughs> now, he's not talking about the law being death, but our relationship with the law. 
In, in other words, if you think that by your commitment to the law, you will be justified, you're in trouble. So the law was broken up. Some would say this is idiosyncrasies that shouldn't be laid out. But I like this idea um, uh, that the law is broken down into three core elements. So y'all track it with me still. I'm just building a foundation. <laughs> it's broken down into the ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. Now, why do I talk about that breakdown? Because ceremonial law meant relating to God. Civic law pointed to relating to others. And moral law meant relating to self, okay? And in all three of the most comprehensive areas in every relationship that God created, the law produced in us failure in our relationship with God, in our relationship to others, and in our relationship to ourselves. And so what the law was given for, the law was given not to make you holy because God knew you weren't. The law was given to weigh you down about your inability to make yourself holy so that you would throw yourself on the mercy of God and say, who in the world can do all this stuff? I don't know if you ever read through the first five books of the Bible. And you ever said, now, how they got time to work with just trying? You ain't even got time to put food on the table. If you do this, you got to go get three calves. If, you, if a woman is on her time of the month, she got to do this. If a man has a similar mention, he got to do this. If a person burnt, has molded, if you leave your clothes out of the washer too long and they mold, you got, it's like, man. You're like, man, how in the world do you keep all that? <coughs> if you feel like that, that's how you should feel. Because when someone tries to get righteousness by their own efforts, they should feel like a failure. That's the goal. The goal is for you and I to be broken of our self-reliance. That, that's, that's the goal. The goal is not for you to become more eternally self-sufficient. The goal is for you to see your deficiencies. That's why he says it leads fully to death. Listen, look at what Peter says up in Acts chapter 15, verse 10 and 11, when they were trying to get the Gentiles to live in light of this. He says, now therefore, he says, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to hear, to bear. He says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. So even Peter's like, like, we're not like killing it. Like you're trying to put a yoke around Gentile necks to be committed to the law as that which grows them spiritually when we never, ever related to the law like that, and we know we jacked up, now we're trying to act like we're old. It's interesting when somebody else is failing, and then they try to apply their failure to you. Peter, like, yo, man, like, like do, do we really believe this? Look at what it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. It's funny than a mug right there. He said, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law will no one be justified. So, so, so Paul over in, Paul wrote that, he, he writes this under the power of the Spirit to give us, again, the level of clarity that's needed to know that self-reliance doesn't work in God's economy. See, many of you are going to wrestle with this idea because our society is in an identity crisis. And because America is in an identity, we're thinking about gender identity, but it's really a larger umbrella over that. See, see, y'all getting, see, y'all, y'all get, see, you're getting lost in gender identity. Really, it's country identity and cultural identity. Uh, because America is made up a bunch of, 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 of post-slave slaves and immigrants who are now in a melting pot, we're trying to figure out who we are. And so what we're trying to do is redefine the identity of everything to try to recreate. In other words, when you leave yourself on your own, you come up with some stupid stuff. Just make it real plain, just some stupid, just, we don't even know what we're doing. Like, how is it practical to have unisex bathrooms for children? Like, who, like, that's not practical. I'm gonna come back to that one day, but just, I'm like, just, like, anyway, I'm just confused, right? But your identity always confuses your practicality. And so what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to frame and he's trying to root God's people in their biblical identity as glory reflectors. Now let's look at what it says here because we want to get some understanding of the book. Look what he says. He says, for if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone. (laughs) Remember what we said last time, that the stone tablets were representation of stone hearts that were unable to receive the law as a permanent marker of it, to respond to it. Remember that. So look at what it says here. He says, can with such glory, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face (coughs) because of its glory, which it was being brought to an end. In other words, Moses, we'll see in a second some more when we look down in verses, uh, verse 12, it says, since we uh, have such a hope, I'll come back to those middle verses. We are, uh, we are, uh, 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 we are very, uh, very bold. I'm gonna come back to that verse. Not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So what happened is Moses would go up on the mountain and spend time close to the presence of God. And he would talk, the Bible says that he talked with God face to face as a friend with a friend. While he was in an expression of God's presence. Let let, let me see how massive God is. God's dwelling unapproachable presence is in heaven. But God showed up on a mountain in a cloud in a burning bush with an expression of his unveiled presence with a minutia of its revelation in the face of Moses. And that was enough to make him glow. Mm. 
I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you remember. You, you know, y'all don't. Life is not as simple as it used to be. See, we used to have glow-in-the-dark toys. Y'all remember them glow-in-the-dark toys. See, some of y'all, y'all life complex. Kids don't play with big wheels no more. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? Nobody goes outside and play. We don't play hopscotch no more. We don't make basketball courts on telephone poles no more. We're milk crates. Our, our lives are complex now. But when it was a lot less complex, we, we were excited. Yeah to take something and hold it up by the light. And the longer you held it, help me today, God, up by the light, the more the faculties within it was able to glow because it had been in the presence of the light. And so with Moses, when you turn the lights off, even though there's darkness all around it, because something had been in contact with the light before things went dark, it was able to glow. But just like Moses, the longer you're away from the light, the longer you're away from the light, the glow goes away. And, 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 And Paul is saying, you're trying to put yourself under faded glory. He said, when you try to do life on your own, you're going back to a period that was coming to an end to show you, not that the law wasn't valuable, but its impact on you could not be permanent. It could not be permanent. Are y'all tracking with me today? And so as he begins to do this, he's helping us because how are we under the law now? Many of us are self-reliant. And it's a fading glory. It doesn't last. It has no might. It has no strength. And some of us have experienced some very, very bitter things in our past. And so we've tucked our hand up under our arm with our pocketbook and put our wallet in our back pocket. And we got the wind in our face because ain't nobody going to hurt us no more. So I'm going to do everything on my own. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstrap. Ain't nobody going to bother. That's a fading glory. Some of you are responding to your past unbiblically. And what can begin to happen is, is you have the mentality uh, that, 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 that Michael McDonald and, 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 and uh, Patti LaBelle talked about in the song, On My Own. But, but, but let me explain something to you. <coughs> and we'll see it in the next chapter too. <laughs> Being a Christian is the process of you and I being stripped of our self-reliance. I'm just telling you, get that in your spirit today. I'm just telling you right now, when you think, after you got your degree, and after you've done your internship or your residency, and after you've gotten fully qualified for everything that you think, you done wrote your dissertation, you done wrote your thesis, you done got straight A's, you done got uh, accolades, you even got summa cum laude, magna cum laude, uh, 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 you, you get, some of y'all got thank you Lord, but all of that to say, with all of that, you still, when you get out there, find out that God says, I, I, I blessed you to be qualified, but I want to show you that you still need me. And see, and see, see, being stripped of self-reliance, it, it, God, God is like, I'm going to fade the glory of self-reliance. I'll let it have a little bit. 
but it'll fade away because I want you to know that you need me. And that's the beauty of being, God's gonna make sure that you need him. He's gonna make sure that nothing works until you are walking in comprehensive attachment to him. I'm just letting you know, you can keep trying to work it out and you can still try to fake it till you make it, but you'll never get to the finish line. Never. And so Paul is challenging the Corinthians because they got too much swag for the kingdom. So Paul says to them, he says to them, beautifully, he says, will not, I love this, will not, will not the ministry produced by, it can be translated that, the Spirit have even more glory. Wow. So what is he talking about here? The ministry that's produced by the Spirit is, 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 is what we talked about last time in 2 Corinthians. The Spirit of God, let, let me teach real quick. Can I teach real quick? Let, let me back up. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he says, I'm sending another of the same kind. And he's going to come alongside of you and he's going to take from me and give exactly what's from me to you. You should have ran on that. In other words, in other words, he take and the second, I like the way First Corinthians puts it anthropomorphically about the relationship of the spirit to God, the father who he indwells. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost indwells God, the father and looks around the depths of God to deliver the depths of God's heart to God's people. I, I can't even, I ain't even got time to talk about that. But it's in, second, it's in First Corinthians chapter 2. It said, the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So, so, so what the Spirit does is the main thing that the Spirit is giving to the believer is gospel nutrition. So that's why you won't be saved unless he convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's why you can't be saved unless he washes you until you're born again. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that each one is given a measure of faith. Because without the ministry produced by the Spirit, we can't experience the unlimited glory of God. And the ministry of the Spirit automatically demands dependence. See, 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 you, see, the spirit is so big, you can't think your way out of him. <laughs> he wants you, he don't, it's not that he don't want you to think. He just don't want you to think without him. Okay, and so, and so, and so when, when the spirit, because that's why your life is a walk of faith. He's producing a ministry in you. Your life is the way it is. That's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is working in your life to, 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 to move stuff out of the way, to put some stuff in the way. That's him. You rebuking the devil. Sometimes it ain't the devil. I rebuke you, devil. I, I, your assignment is up. Like, when do anybody even pray like that in the Bible? I come against you, devil. I come against you and all of your imps and your whole kingdom. They're like laughing. Like, why are you praying to him? You just sidebarred your prayer and stop talking to the one that can change it to start talking to the one that's in the way of things being changed. 
Anyway, that was for free. And so he says the ministry produced by the Spirit produced more glory. More glory meaning it doesn't fade. It doesn't fade. As a matter of fact, look at what happens. It says, for if there was glory <coughs> with the ministry that produces condemnation. Wow. If there was glory with the law, he says, he says, the ministry of righteousness. I love this. The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory, in value, if you will. In other words, the new covenant has more value than the old covenant in its ability to bring God's glory in residence in your life. That's the Spirit's role, and this is a ministry that's by faith. Now watch what he says right here. Look, look, look what it says. He says, indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Listen, the glory of pointing to your self-dependence is over. It's, it's over. <laughs> then he says, now make way for the one that promotes dependence. And in our society, dependence is something that looks weak. It does. It looks, it's like, it looks minute. It looks weak. I mean, Christ did look weak on the cross, didn't he? <laughs> right? Save yourself. See, 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 see the community, the communication of self. If you are who you say, do this. Prove who you are by what you do. Even on the cross, get down with all power if you're powerful. Now he called it on Elijah. They couldn't even understand what he was saying because his vocals were so messed up. Or hearing they didn't hear, as Isaiah says. Because sometimes when you're self-reliant, you hear what you want to hear. You hear what you want to hear when your our ears is deafened to the beauty and glory and might of the gospel. So he walks us through it here. And he says, he says, for if, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory much more, will what is permanent have glory? Ah, oh, I wish I had time to just, I may stop here today. This is glorious. <clears throat> yeah, I think I'm gonna stop here. Um, this idea <coughs> of permanence is powerful. You need to get this in your head as a believer. This idea of permanence. Um, in Haggai chapter two, verse nine, I'm, I'm gonna just end it on that. <laughs> It's just too much, y'all, I told you. Um, says the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory. That was a prophecy that had dual um, 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 fulfillment. Because in their day, the temple that they were building was going to be smaller than 
the Salmonic temple, which was Solomon's temple. I mean, Solomon's temple was a fly temple. You got to understand. I mean, David pulled out all the bricks. Then Solomon got rich and bought more stuff. I mean, gold pomegranates. Like they were so rich, they was dipping pomegranates in gold and hanging them like ornaments in the temple. I mean, that's just fly. You know what I'm saying? Grapes and you know what I'm saying? Dude just working with all they they shipped in wood, cedar. You know what I'm saying? From from Lebanon. Like that's the best wood you could ever get. It's like for us, shipping redwood trees that are against the law to cut down, shipping them here and having redwood under your feet. That was the beauty of the Salmonic temple. But what made the Salmonic temple powerful wasn't the riches that made up the temple. What made the Salmonic temple powerful was when the glory of the Shekinah cloud of God rested on the temple. Now what was powerful about God's glory showing up on the temple that the Bible says that as the Levites and the priests were slaying lambs on the altar, the glory of God was so thick that they couldn't stand to minister. In other words, they're doing stuff. But when the glory of God comes around, you should drop everything. Stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. And they couldn't stand the minister. I mean, everybody was floored that God was there. He was around them, everywhere, around them, all in the temple. You look outside of the temple, and those who couldn't come out, out on the in, in the inner court looked, looked out there, and they said, wow, God is present. Temple got destroyed. Stay with me. Then they had to build another one, but the temple that they built wasn't going to be big as the one that was built first. And God had to give them a promise because the old folks were depressed about, because they remember over 77 years ago how booming the Salmonic temple was. So when they looked at the Salmonic, they was like, dang, what is this? They started crying and carrying on. That's in Ezra chapter 3, verse around the 14 through 16 verses. So they're looking at it, they're like, this is going to be nothing. But the young folk ain't seen nothing. All they know is God is back. And so this temple is going to be great and it's going to be, so they sang. The Bible says you couldn't tell the difference between their weeping and their worship. God said, I know this temple isn't as big as the first one. I know it doesn't have as much as the first one, but the, the glory of this temple will be greater than the former. But then listen, Ezekiel says, because he's in the post-temple period when he was prophesying, I mean the post-exilic period, prophesying, guess what happened? Y'all still struggling with me, right? He says, the glory of God an angel came down, went into the inner court of the, holies of, of the holies of holies, grabbed the glory of God from the middle of the mercy seat, went out on the threshold, flapped his wings one time, and took the glory back to heaven because the people were self-reliant. <laughs> but then they still had the prophecy, still had to come to pass. So about 400 years later, after Herod had built an annex to the temple and rebuilt it, there was a toddler about two years old. He walked into the temple and nobody knew that the glory had returned. Stay with me. Because the glory was no longer a temple made with human hands. Lord Yahshua, Jesus Christ, would become the prototype temple 
where God's glory would no longer rest on a building. Will rest on you and you and you and you and you and you and you. And why does it rest? Because before the glory of God always came, blood had to be smeared where it was going to come. (laughs) So because Christ's blood was smeared on you, the Spirit has brought your life to be a tabernacle of God's presence. So let somebody ask you, who am I? I'm a tabernacle of the presence of God. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. See, see, some of y'all ain't get it yet because you don't recognize how messed up you were and are. (laughs) But but if you recognize the, the foolishness of you and the foolishness of the gospel, that in your life, God would take permanent residence. Now, if Levitical priests and Aaronic priests could go crazy because the Shekinah glory was around them, how in the world to those who have his Shekinah glory indwelling them and living in them? When he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, it's yes. different than him just being yeah. beside you. Yes. He's in you. And he stays there. He stays there. He holds on to you. He stays near you. He loves you through it all. Come hell or high water. You are, I am, a non-earning, non-self-reliant tabernacle and temple that carries the glory of God everywhere. Now what if we catch 3% of the vision of that. This 3%, I ain't even, I ain't even talking about, most of us are on negative 200. What if we just caught 3%? God's like right here. He's not right here, even though he is. He's not right here, he's not, even though he is, like he's right right here. Living inside of you. And see, we're gonna see in the weeks to come, that God knows we're not just going to stop being self-reliant. So he has to do things to break you of it. So a few weeks, we're going to talk about how brokenness is God's means to crack you from your self-free life. Because you, you know, you, you appreciate, yeah, God is in me, but still don't know what to do. God said, I got you. God, I got you. I got 53 seconds, I'm gonna work it out. He said, I, I got you, dog. I, I'm gonna take care of you. We're gonna make sure that you live a life where I'm 
I'm accosting you and confronting you with the fact that I'm not only looking at you, but I'm in you. And when, when, how would that impact the identity crisis of men? How would that crack open the identity crisis of women? How would that challenge the identity crisis of a person that's about their paper? How would it change the identity crisis of the suicidal? How would it change the identity crisis of the drug addict, the adulterer, the depressed? It's God permanently is with you and he is after getting to you while yet being in you. I got to stop. I got to stop. Father. Father. um, God, we find that these things are too wonderful for us. Too wonderful. Too, too wonderful for us. As we realize that your presence is not merely with us, yet it is in us. You are and you want to be and you're pursuing in us being our divine navigator. God, I'm praying today first for that person who doesn't know you as savior, who's never met you in the pardon of their sins, (coughs) who has never experienced what it means to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Literally dying because of your work on the cross is killing our self-reliance and raising us up from the grave with you by faith in what Christ has done. Resurrects us as those who are dependent on you. And so, God, I pray today for them. Maybe you're here today. You're saying, man, I know that I am highly self-dependent. I almost get defensive when someone says be dependent. We're not talking about being unbiblically needy. We're talking about being dependent in a way where you're connected to the one who created you so that you can operate and work and be strengthened. But the most important thing that Christ's death does is places us into a relationship with God. If you're here today and you know that you are self-dependent spiritually, on what you can do to save yourself. Christ's arms are open for you to come to him. 
If you're here today, you want to put your confidence in Christ for salvation, slip your, hold your hand in the air. We'd love to talk to you about <clears throat> what it means to become dependent. I see you. Anyone else wants to put their confidence in Christ? Wants to put their confidence in Christ? Anyone else says, I, I know that I am walking in self-dependence and I need desperately only what Christ can bring. Amen. We pray for this one that has come forward. Father, we pray for him that you would strengthen him and help his him to get clarity based on 1 John 5 that he may know he has eternal life because of faith in Christ <clears throat> and that he would never have to doubt that because of your work that you've done on his behalf. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Everybody.